Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Good afternoon and thanks for joining us. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert today. And Governor, you want to expand a little bit on the question about the surplus and why not give some of it back? Well, and, and partly in conjunction with tax modernization, tax reform, those uh, public hearings have started. The legislature is going to go around the state and get input. And so the public needs to understand that this is not uh, anything that's preset or predetermined. There's been a discussion set on the need to broaden bases, lower rates, and that discussion will continue, and uh, we want the public to be involved, business, uh, whoever has a, an opinion, the legislature wants to hear. A part of the overall goal, though, is, in fact, as we broaden the base and lower the rate, that there will be, in fact, a significant tax cut that goes back to the people of Utah. So when we talk about surplus, uh, one of the reasons we're able to, in fact, talk about tax reform and include a tax cut the proposals have been between 200 and 250 million dollars of tax cut giving back to the taxpayers of Utah. So, I expect with any tax reform modification, whether that's great or small, uh, coupled with that should be some tax cuts and some refunding of money back to taxpayers, which will come out of the growing surplus. And you are listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor, the number to call with your question, 801-575-8255, or you can text us at 57500. The next quest, next texter wanting to know what your plans are to be proactive regarding homelessness. Well, we've, in fact, been working on homelessness here for the last uh, number of years, but uh, kind of came to a, a dynamic head here with the cleanup of the Rio Grande and the road home efforts there and putting other facilities online. Um, the state spent, uh, you know, at least $10 million on the Rio Grande area, maybe another $10 million coming. Uh, it's a combination of uh, taxpayers' dollars being utilized. It's also uh, private sector people stepping up and entities that are uh, saying this is our uh, way to contribute and give back to the community. Uh, civic organizations. Uh, we have a lot of faith-based organizations which have stepped up significantly to help with uh, housing, with uh, food and clothing, as well as shelter. Uh, so it's an ongoing effort. Uh, no matter where I've been, uh, my travels to Europe, you know, uh, just coming back from this trade mission, there were homeless people there on the streets. And um, 
it seems to be uh, you know kind of following the admonition of Jesus. He said the poor will always be with you. Uh, that's probably realistic. It does not mean that we don't have a responsibility to help those people, though. And it's, it's a matter of not only getting them help with, uh, you know, health care, uh, shelter, food, but also to give them an opportunity to get skills so they can, in fact, support themselves. So the old adage that you, know, you give a fish and feed them for a day or you can teach them how to fish and feed them for a lifetime really is a concept we have embraced here in Utah. And consequently, we have less people in poverty in the state of Utah. We have less people that are on Medicaid. The the, the gap is uh, short, and it's only about nine or ten months in the state of Utah, which is probably the lowest time frame of any place in America. So we still have work to do, and we are proactive in that effort to help with the homeless and those who are impoverished. Governor, tell us about this letter that you have sent to Francine Gianni at the Department of Commerce about conversion therapy, and explain what you are asking her to do. Well, as probably the listeners remember from the last legislative session, conversion therapy, whether we should have it, allow it, what are the parameters that should be done, uh, it was a hotly debated and emotional issue. Most people understand that some shock treatments, uh, a little bit, by, in my view, barbaric, should not be permitted. And there's concerns about the mental aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same across the board, at least as we hear therapists talk, and I'm certainly no expert on this, but whether it's same-sex attraction, uh, whether it's, in fact, gender dysphoria, uh, those are not necessarily the same things, and therapy has therapists have different opinions on what can or should be done. I'm no expert, but I do understand the need to probably have resolution and direction to our therapists of what they can do and and really combine that with parental rights. You know, what do parents have the right to say and to do and to have, in fact, done with their children when it comes to therapy? So to that end, I've directed our Department of Commerce, Francine Gianni is the director there, to in fact start a process working particularly with the psychological license, or excuse me, psychological, yeah, the psychological Psychologist licensing board. It's a a tongue twister there. It is. It's a hard (laughs) one. Um, Their licensing board to, in fact, to review this and review the science uh, and see what the science and and the experts in this field would recommend and tell us. Uh, What I don't want it to to have happen is get bogged down in politics and the non-experts having more say over what the outcome should be than those people who really are expert in this field. And so to that end, uh, they'll start doing that. They'll work. There's uh, uh, two or three other boards that have something to say on this, but I want this board to take the lead on it. I want them to take time to have public input and have it uh, an opportunity to have that happen by September 16th of this year. Uh, that means we can start immediately on this. We don't have to wait till the next legislative session. It, uh, things that we can do immediately, giving guidelines to the therapists and what can be done, uh, what can't be done, and how it should be done. It does not foreclose on the ability and need for us to maybe have future legislation. This maybe help us understand better what needs to be done. And so I've worked with the legislature. They're in agreement with this uh, approach. 
I would hope that these interested stakeholders out there would would get behind this and see if we can't come together and reconcile any differences and come up with process and recommendations and parameters that will be good for parents and will be good for therapists and ultimately be the right thing to be doing with particularly our children. We're in the heat of summer. We shouldn't be surprised that one of our questions is going to be about uh, road work with all those orange cones out there. I can speak, too. Uh, (laughs) This texter saying, uh, less than two years ago, UDOT beautified the on-ramps and off-ramps at 33rd South and and I-15. And now UDOT's removing all that work for the I-15 widening project. And the, the question is, why was taxpayers' money wasted? Is there no check and balances on UDOT? Well, there certainly are checks and balances. In fact, it's called the legislature, and uh, they, in fact, have an accounting as far as here's the money we've given you. What have you done with it? What have you built? And what uh, what's the capacity? What's the maintenance? Uh, I'm sure mistakes are made, and we find growth pressures that change over time. And what we thought was going to happen in the next ten years is, in fact, different. In some ways, it's like playing whack-a-mole. You have demand here, you get that taken care of, and then it pops up someplace else. And uh, For us, we have to develop a system that works in all 29 counties and in our 245 cities, and that's a complex issue. There's finite dollars. We did a lot of building when I came in and we started construction, but we did not do a lot on maintenance. And so uh, we're a little behind, I think, when it comes to the maintaining of the existing roads that we have. But certainly there's a report that comes out every year. We have an independent transportation commission, which makes the determination of how to spend the money that we put into transportation. It's designed to be outside of politics so that people don't just bring home the pork and take care of my backyard and the rest of the Mm -hmm. state goes wanting. Um, We've been recognized by many around the country as really on the cutting edge of efficiency when it comes to building roads. We build them better and less expensive within many parts of the country. And uh, we're innovative in many areas of intersection changes and how we build bridges in place and and don't disrupt traffic. And so um, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But uh, the RUDOT, our Department of Transportation, is a pretty darn good operation. Let's stick with the topic of highways. The next texter is asking about our new law, the new lane filtering law that impacts motorcyclists. It's been in effect for a few months now, and uh, this texter would like to know your thoughts on how it's working. Well, it's probably too early to make a determination on how it's working. The intent, as I understand, was to help with those who are on two-wheel vehicles, you know, motorcycles, scooters, to have an ability to not be stopped in traffic. Uh, and appropriately and uh, the ability for them to go between lanes. And there are parameters as far as the speed limit and the jurisdiction and the location. And I think there's a lot of confusion still. Yeah, there probably is. It's new. I I can tell you, having just come from Europe and have been in Vietnam, where if they ever have a scooter Olympics, Vietnam is going to be the odds on favor (laughs) because everybody's on a scooter. scooter. And not only do they ride it themselves, they have up to five people in addition to the driver on a scooter. Scary. It's a It's a, like a circus balancing act. Uh, and they cut every which way. Uh, again, when there's in Europe, it's like a little anthill with no kind of organized chaos. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, it, it's, uh, uh, again, the, the, this ability to go between lanes is not uncommon around the world. Uh, it's a little scary to me. And so we've put some parameters so it's not just... Un, 
contained, and there are some guidelines. Probably people learn as they go, but uh, it's something we're going to try and see if that does help with congestion, and particularly those that have motorcycles and scooters to get out of the congestion because there's a, an avenue, there's an alleyway for them to, in fact, continue to progress while the rest of the automobiles are stuck. Right. We have a caller uh, who's in their car right now. Uh, Troy is calling. And, Troy, what's your question? Well, with the unemployment rate in Utah being about 3%, um, I know in Kaysville, where I live, just about every restaurant has a Help Wanted sign in the window. And yet we keep hearing about this huge potential labor force literally beating down our doors at the southern border. Is there some way we could bring them here and, and give them jobs? What's preventing that, I guess, is my main question. That's a great question, and you're right. The, the, the biggest issue, and I get around and talk to the CEOs of our businesses here in the state of Utah, large and small, is where is the new labor force going to come from because there seems to be a shortage. It really is a shortage of skilled labor. It's a shortage of uh, having people that have the education and training and skills for many of these different businesses. So, uh, frankly, right now in Utah, if you're willing to work and if you have the skills, you can get a job. Um, that being said, when we talk about migration, we talk about border walls and fences. What unfortunately we don't talk about near enough is the gate, how you come in and out of this country. I'm old enough to remember when migrant farm workers came into uh, Utah County and particularly in the city of Orange where I was raised, where I had a lot of orchards and they'd come and work and then they'd go home. Uh, that was easy to do with the visa program they had back then. It's not so easy to do now. Consequently, it's not the, the people just hopping the fence or crossing the border illegally. The biggest problem is people overstaying their visa because they don't think they can come back in again if they go home. So as I've talked to President Obama and I've talked to President Trump, I've suggested that an area of neglect that they need to pay more attention to is making sure that the gate works. And there's an opportunity, as we can control, having people that would be here legally and appropriately to help in certain areas of, of demand. And that might be in agriculture, might be in hospitality, uh, probably other areas where we don't have as many people willing to work there uh, that others would be willing to, in fact, come and contribute to our economy. So that's a problem. It's a federal government issue. We've tried to test this ourselves as a state in court. We've been sued by the federal government. We lost. So immigration clearly is a federal government issue. The frustration that many of us have is that Congress, uh, on both sides of the aisle, have blame on this. Just keep kicking the can down the road rather than resolve the problem. In fact, too many are using it as a political tool rather than caring about resolving the problems that exist out there because of immigration and uh, the uncertainty of how you actually come in or get out of the country or what happens once you're in here. So let's hope for better work out of Washington, D.C. Troy, thank you so much for your call. We need to take a break. The number to call if you have a question, 801-575-8255, or you can text us at 57500. We'll be right back. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you so much for joining us. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert. And let's go right to our phone caller. Mark is standing by. Hi, Mark. What's your question for the governor? Yeah, this is Mark Jensen. I think you've done a fabulous job. I 
I met you at a funeral, and I used to work for State Parks and Recreation. I retired 11 years ago, and we t- we spoke for a while, and you said you uh, played football for the Orem Tigers when I was playing for the Highland Rams. This is back in 1963. Do you remember that? I, I do remember that, and the Highland beat us for the state championship 6 to nothing. Well, I know. We called that the snowball. Yeah, yeah, I felt bad about that, but congratulations once again to the Highland Rams. Yeah, and I didn't know, I didn't know you are that old. I am that old, but I didn't know you are that old. But anyway, I just, uh, I've been retired for over 11 years. I'm wondering how our state retirement system is going to hold up, and how do you think it's doing and going to do through the future? Well, it's doing well. We're one of a uh, few states that are on solid fiscal footing. Um, having it 100% of the funding there for future obligations is what you're striving for. I don't think we're yeah. quite at 100%, but we're getting pretty close. Uh, yeah. We've been recognized as having a good solid pension fund for those who are retired. We worry about Social Security, of course, making it, but I don't know if I have to worry about the state retirement. <laughs> I can tell you we're a lot healthier in the state than the Social Security program. All right. Thank so, you so good much luck to for you, your Mark. call today. Um, Governor, we have a bunch of texters. Uh, we're not going to get to all of these questions today. It's a good thing we do this once a month. But one of our texters is asking a question about the DABC board and, and the makeup of that board. And are there drinkers on that board? Well, thank you. That's a good, good question. A lot of myths surrounding the DABC. Let me just say to those out there that if we don't get your questions, we have a constituent service office. You're welcome to call, write, email. Uh, the phone number is 801-538-1000. Ask for constituent services, and there's people there ready to help and answer questions and get me on the phone if needs be. So, again, for those out there, uh, for your information. The DABC is a board designed to oversee liquor sales, alcohol in the state of Utah as per the legislation. And we don't ask the question whether you're a drinker or a non-drinker. People think that it's all non-drinkers. It's not. Um, it's uh, we don't ask religion, we don't ask politics. We just want somebody that will enforce the law on the books and make sure we manage as well as we can the state access to uh, control liquor. Uh, and it's probably about half and half, uh, probably half are uh, uh, imbibe and half don't. So it's a, it's a good mix. We try to make sure the people have expertise in retail, wholesale, alcohol consumption and uh the pros and the cons of those issues. And so they're not making policy. They're just implementing what the legislature has put as legislation. The next test, text are asking, uh, Florida and Arizona have education savings accounts or ESAs, similar to school vouchers or an HSA for medical. What is the possibility of having an ESA in Utah? It was t- talked about in times past, along with the voucher discussion debate, whether you should get a credit, whether you should have a voucher, uh, there's different ways probably to skin the cat, but to give uh, parents and students more choice if there's other options out there besides public education to go into a private school. And so education savings accounts, similar to health savings accounts, are designed to let you collect money and then spend it as you see fit, maybe as an alternative choice. Uh, it it certainly is a discussion that could be had here. I don't know if there's any movement out there to do that. Uh, vouchers itself went down in flames by the voice of the people in a referendum to overturn the legislation that was created by the legislature. So I don't know that that's really something. What is happening, though, is more charter schools. 
And so even though they're under the public school system, the charter schools, which we have about 100 and maybe we're up to about 150, uh, gives more choice, more options for parents and students. Uh, that's a little bit different than the traditional public education uh, experience. Uh, Governor, we have less than a minute less left. I want to thank all of our texters for all their fine questions. I'm afraid we're not going to get to all of those. I've been following your trip to Europe. Saw you met with the Pope. Yes, I did. Tell us in 30 seconds, what, what was that experience like? Well, probably the most recognized personality in the world and uh, 1.2 billion Catholics. And it was a great honor for us to meet with him and also his second-in-command, Cardinal, uh, uh, what's his name, Pelion. And uh, anyway... The interesting thing is always a nice gentleman and very compassionate, obviously cares about the underserved and underprivileged. But at the end of the day, he said to me and Jeanette, would you pray for me? Uh, And, you know, people make pilgrimages there to Vatican City and ask him to pray for them. So I was kind of turning the tables around and a little bit of a surprise when he said to us, would you pray for me? And... uh, Again, a lesson learned that we ought to support those. Even though I'm from a different faith and maybe don't see politics the same way he does, we ought to support those that we have differences with, help them uh, pray for them, support them, encourage them, hope that they have success. Uh, we'd have a better world if we'd follow the Pope's advice. Governor, thank you for sharing that story for with us, and uh, we'll see you next month. All right, looking forward to it. And you've been listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor, the J. Mac News Show, up next.